You're listening to Privacy and Security Insights, brought to you by Picasso. Hello and welcome to the podcast series, episode 8, Blockchain and Privacy. Are they contradictory? I am Steve Wright, your host for today. I am delighted to be joined by Vivian Arts, OBE. Vivian is on our board and a bit of a legend in the privacy world of everything. And I just wanted to start by saying welcome, Vivian. Delighted to have you here. Steve, thank you so much for inviting me to join this podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with you again um, and to share some thoughts on our topic of today. Yes. And what a topic it is, blockchain. Now, we've heard lots about it, and it conjures up all types of images in my mind. And I'm not even going to attempt to explain it. That's for you as an expert in this space. Now, you've had, I think, over 20 years experience in the financial services industry, was the CPO for many global FTSE 100 organizations. So you really know this subject inside out. So I'm really pleased. So if you don't mind, I'll move straight to the first question, Vivian. And the first question is, blockchain seems to be an evolving technology for a whole range of products and services, whether financial services like cryptocurrencies and crypto assets, or as a record of title for a land or precious stones or metals. And now we have NFTs, non-fungible tokens, where works of art can be made digital and purchased by individuals. So in this fast pace of development, have our laws and regulations caught up? And are there any new issues we need that need to be considered? Thank you so much, Stephen. You're absolutely right. The blockchain world has evolved very quickly, and there's now an increasing amount of focus on it because its value has increased enormously. The value of crypto assets rose to about $3 trillion in 2021, and then they had a big dive and fell down in value about 75%. But the journey in terms of blockchain and crypto assets continues at considerable pace. And because it involves not just financial services, but individuals can get involved in crypto assets, the regulators are now starting to pay much more attention to it because it isn't just about financial services products being digitized and then sold in a digital way. It's also about this whole new area of uncollateralized digital assets that are arising. And of course, it isn't just trading as between two corporate entities. Individuals can buy crypto assets as well. But let's just go back to what we're talking about here, which is not those different types of assets, but actually the blockchain itself, because the blockchain is the base on which the crypto assets sit. And blockchain is what it says. It's a series of blocks in mm-hmm. a chain. And that, I think, is the crux of the issue. Well, not the issue. It's actually how it is architected. So right. each time uh, there's a transaction, it forms a new block on the chain. And so the chain gets bigger and bigger and bigger over time. But that's wonderful because actually what you do is you have absolute consistency and a repetition effectively of everything that's happened before. So it's a perfect record. That's really what blockchain is, a series of blocks in a chain that create a perfect record. So we are seeing quite a bit of regulatory interest and legislation 
And I just draw people's attention to the UK, where the Bank of England and the Treasury published a paper in February this year on the digital pound. And in that, it's one of the first papers I've seen from the financial services sector where they've taken a focus on privacy, which is what we want to talk about today. Wow. Thank you. And you've just really broke it open for us so that we can understand what this conversation is all about, because this is interesting. And I think, you know, I've been in privacy a number of years and the interlude and the overlap here with blockchain is there. I can see it. And you're making it tangible, which is what this series is all about, trying to make it realistic, tangible and understandable. So thank you. And in your article, which hopefully as a listener, you have subscribed to and have read, you describe how blockchain architecture provides a range of unique and attractive features, such as immutability and transparent auditability. But these apparent benefits also can be sometimes at odds with privacy requirements. So is there an example, Vivian, that how immutability and auditability may pose challenges from a privacy perspective? Absolutely. So the immutability is wonderful because if you think about that series of blocks in a chain, none of them can be amended without everybody seeing. So if you think of cryptocurrencies, that's super cool because effectively you can eliminate fraud from the system because unless you add your block and it meets the requirements and incorporates the information from all the previous blocks, it won't be accepted. So the immutability provides auditability, and it means that the information is there forever. Oh my goodness. So what do you do about data subject rights, such as the right to correction and erasure? How can you exercise those rights in an architecture which cannot be changed and which includes all the legacy information from the first transaction to the last transaction? And that's, it's not that it's a problem. That's the feature. That's the attraction. So I think the immutability piece is absolutely fascinating because of those concepts we also have about data subject rights and the ability even, as I said, to be forgotten or erasure. But again, one of the positives is that ability to provide auditability. So suddenly, auditability is really easy and transparent. You don't have to go anywhere to find the information. It's all right there in front of you. It's incredible. And so, I mean, that's... So help us as, as the listener. Can you explain, literally, blockchain is growing. Each new block, as you just described, every transaction is appended. So it, so it kind of feels like it, it's growing and adding more and more information, as you've alluded to, all the way back to that original transaction. So how then, and I think you've alluded to it, Vivian, how do you get data minimization in that concept from a privacy perspective? Oh, you're absolutely spot on, Steve. How do you achieve data minimization when actually the data, the parts, key parts of the data continue to be replicated because that's part of the immutability and the accountability? And I think that's a real challenge for us from a privacy perspective is yeah. that the architecture is such that it's almost impossible to apply a data minimization principle. So perhaps the answer is that we need to rethink what we mean by data minimization. And is it the fact of just the volume of data or is it how we treat data? Are there other ways in which we could address that same principle? And is the minimization of data always the best thing? Because perhaps it isn't in this case. 
Interesting. Wow. Okay. So you're really challenging us to think about this. And I've got a more similar question. So, well, I make no apologies because this is great um, discussion. Your article, it sort of talks about how new blocks can sometimes be inconsistent with the original purpose, which I think is what you're alluding to. So again, I mean, similar to minimization, but how can purpose restrictions on data processing be enforced, especially... Well, you're, you're kind of alluding to it, not necessarily retrospectively, but you certainly, those purpose restrictions, I'm not sure how, could that be applied? Can you sort of introduce new rules that would then change the architecture from there on? Or The way in which the blockchain works is it's effectively governed by a smart contract, so an electronic contract that sets the rules. Some people have sort of likened it to a vending machine. You put your money in and it goes through a process and out pops your chocolate bar or your can of soft drink. And you just keep doing that. That's how you do the transaction. So it, it is possible in the smart contract to define the parameters of use, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can dictate all potential future use purposes or who may potentially participate in future. So I don't think it's absolutely possible to restrict further and other purposes in future, not least of all because remember blockchain is decentralized. And so I think that is something that needs to be thought about quite carefully. You know, how do we meaningfully reflect that principle in blockchain, if at all? So the purpose restriction, because you can't control who's going to participate, and it's only through the smart contract that the chain continues to grow, its ability to limit future use purposes is it can be limited. Okay. And so then the inevitable question, as per your article, is who is responsible in the event of some security breach. I mean, there's a question here, I suppose, even before that. Can can blockchain be breached? Is that possible? I mean, technically, is it feasible? And therefore, who would... Yes. We've had a number of security breaches and frauds that have taken place with regard to blockchain. But I think part of that is very much because there aren't consistent standards with regard to security measures. So remember, each block as it is created, yep. it's hashed. It's a crypto. It's there's some sort of crypto element to yeah. secure it, as the case may be. Yeah. But people's security is in lots of different ways. Much of blockchain is sort of half digital and half not. So people sometimes keep their passwords offline or there's elements of security um, that are dealt with in an offline basis. And as you know, uh, very often the the further you go from the original principle, the more likelihood that something is going to go wrong. So we've had a lot of security breaches with regard to blockchain, but that's because as it's growing, the standards are still evolving and so on and so forth. But I think one of the biggest challenges is that Blockchain is decentralized. So at the moment, if you think of financial services, there's always a sort of bank in the middle and they set the rules and and there's a centralized authority. And the way we think of privacy is in a centralized way. You have a controller and they're ultimately accountable. But in the blockchain where it's decentralized, there's nobody in charge. Anyone can participate within the, the relevant group. And in that decentralized way, if there is a breach that happens within the blockchain, who is responsible? Yeah. It's really not very clear at all and so, so i think so, it's quite challenging to apply accountability principles yeah that's exactly what we're on the same page yeah so that is that is tricky then then the bank of england and other major banks central banks that the, the, they must be really pondering this one and try to work out how do they demonstrate that accountability then what an interesting dilemma to be facing into do you think then privacy by design in that decentralized 
blockchain framework can be established? Is that possible in the future? Can we see that sort of design for that fully embedded previously by design concept? I think what we need to do is think about the technology. I think much of what we're trying to do is to apply concepts that apply in the terrestrial and the tangible world to the digital world. And my challenge really is that we need to rethink those privacy principles and what do they look like in a digital environment when you think of blockchain as being that series of blocks in a row. When you think about one of its features is the fact that it is decentralized, that you don't have to rely on a central party, which means that it is accessible, that it is accountable, that it is immutable, that it is auditable. Those are positives. So how do we apply those things in themselves enhance privacy to a certain extent because of the particularly mutability of it is super interesting. So I think we need to be a little bit more creative about what we mean by privacy by design and also use some of the tools out there. There's a lot that you can do to achieve a level of confidentiality on the blockchain if you think about it hard enough and you can innovate in this space. We don't have to just take it at face value. Okay. No, that's that's good. So definitely more work there needed. And I'm assuming then, Vivian, that in terms of data transfer, how does that work? Obviously, there's a lot going on in terms of adequacy and making sure those obligations are fulfilled, different sides of different countries, etc. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not just data transfers. Think about all those data localization requirements as well. So yeah. blockchain and the data on it is both personal and non-personal data. And so you're absolutely right to to call out the personal data restrictions, but there are also non-personal data restrictions to transfers as well in the form of localization. Now, blockchain is digital and digital tends to be borderless. So we're in that world of so many other challenges we have in the digital world, which is borderless, which means that the data has to flow. And it does flow. That is how it is architected. I think that's one of those fundamental core issues that we need to think about quite carefully is the data transfer piece. If we were to design the blockchain in a way that it was sufficiently secure, that there was the ability to achieve a level of confidentiality, that because you can track transactions, you have a level of assurance and you can also see who various parties are for a responsibility audit, so to speak, all the way through, then maybe what we're doing is addressing many of those data transfer obligations because we are safeguarding and securing the data. If people are fully aware of the fact that data will transfer, will be shared, will be available to be seen, then again, consent is one of those measures, isn't it, that allow personal data transfers. So it's about thinking creatively in this space. Fantastic. I just kind of would love to ask a closing question, really, um, and your thoughts on You've spoken about the strengths, the advantages, disadvantages, wonderful. So as a privacy community, what would be your advice to us as DPOs or to even regulators and anyone engaged in this digital world that we live in? What would you like to say to the world on this platform? Oh, that sounds like a big question. Thank you, Steve. Um, I think what we have is a really fascinating and evolving a technology opportunity. We are moving increasingly into the digital economy in lots of different ways. So let's see how we can make the technology work for us 
to provide the confidentiality, the security, the assurance that we want. But we're going to have to flex not just our privacy principles in terms of how they're applied, not the principle itself, but how they're applied Mm -hmm. in order to achieve that outcome. But I think we also need to be working closely between the private sector and the public sector, between businesses and regulators to work out what does good look like and then how can we get the technology to support that. And it isn't about just taking the tangible and then mirroring it in the intangible world. The intangible world is architected and works differently. So we're going to have to flex our existing rules to adjust for the intangible world. I didn't say loosen or weaken. I said we're going to have to flex them so that they are appropriate and can achieve the outcome that we're seeking because we're certainly not going to get that outcome by applying them in exactly the same way because we're just dealing in a completely different universe. So the opportunity is there, and I think it's a fascinating future that we have together, um, but it's one where we're going to have to talk between regulators, legislatures, and business, but also at an international level, because the digital economy is an international one. Fantastic ending there. Thank you for answering that. That was a big question, and you answered that beautifully. I want to thank, on behalf of Picasso, for those of you listening, I'm Steve Wright on the Picasso board. Vivian is actually our Picasso vice chair and has brought so much rich understanding experience around privacy. So I am delighted that you were able to come here and talk about blockchain. Vivian, thank you for joining us today. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me and thank you to everyone for listening. Lovely. And thank you for listening. Tune in for the next episode. I'm Steve Wright signing off from the Picasso podcast series.